Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Alex Zaboli and Matt Nichols, who are both the founders of Cornerstone Recruitment Japan. Alex and Matt have both been in recruitment for over a decade. Within that time, they've both worked for household names such as Robert Waters and Hayes within that time. And they both met at a company called RGF Professional Recruitment in Japan. And they both successfully took this business from startup by, and by the time they left, this business was around 220 people. It was doing around 50 million US dollars in turnover, 12 million in profit. And in October 2019, they both decided to take the leap to start their own recruitment business journey. Now, with that, they decided to go down the investment route and actually became part of Morgan Stanley's HR portfolio. And after successfully raising investment to kickstart this journey, they're now two years in. Uh, they specialize in the bilingual professional market. They have 40 people in the, the company right now, and they have huge plans to scale the business to 100 plus people in the next few years. Matt, Alex, welcome to uh, the podcast. Thanks for having us. We're, we're delighted to be here. Cheers. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm excited. Looking forward to this. I haven't had, uh, I, yeah, first first guys I've had on the podcast that have taken their recruitment career to Japan. So I'm excited to, to dig into this with both of you. So where we always like to start is essentially the million pound question. So Matt, I'm going to come to you first and I'd love to hear from your sort of perspective. In your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you feel make up a highly successful recruitment consultant in today's market? I think it's um, it's a little bit difficult to answer without being too cliched because you've probably heard <laughs> all the cliches when people answer this question. Apart from obviously hard work and having a great attitude and being super motivated, I think when I look back at when I first started, I remember I wasn't actually that good as a recruiter for the first six months, and I needed to, okay. to kind of make some mental switch to succeed. And I think what worked really well for me and what what I've seen work well for other people is you know in in, in recruitment you get loads of decisions every day that you have to make and usually there's an easy choice mm. and a difficult choice and it can be as simple as something like okay i've got to speak to the ceo of this company he's not going to be happy with me for whatever reason do i just shoot him an email or do i pick up the phone and call him and i think the best recruiters that i see consistently make the difficult but best decision yeah. over 50 times yeah. over the course of a day over the, you, you know, extrapolate that out to a year mm. and they're the guys and, and girls that tend to make the most money in my mind. I love that. Great, great, great thing to, to focus on. Alex, what, what have you got to add? What comes up for you? Uh, I mean, for me, I think work ethic is going to be sort of kind of the foundation, right? Or where yeah. like kind of build your career, at least that's kind of what I've done. I think work ethic, I mean, it's a sales job, right? So you need to have that kind of salesiness in you. It's a bit difficult to you know, describing what is that thing. But in general, you need to have that, that salesiness, I think, in you. And, and of course, you have to back it out with, uh, you know, with, with a good work ethic, I think. Okay. So, obviously, there's a lot of things that we can go into here, right? But there, there's a couple of things that I really want to focus on, which we're going to talk about today. So, I absolutely, I'm, I'm super curious around this journey of te both taking your careers to, to Japan. And also, what we're really going to dig into is, yeah, this journey of raising investment, of now obviously being on your own recruitment entrepreneurial journey. So, so we're going to dig into that as well. So I guess I don't want to take it back all the way to the, the beginning. I guess where I'd want to start, and Alex, I'll come to you first just, just to hear sort of your, your story on this. But like, from what I can see, when you sort of first took your recruitment career to Japan, it, looks, it was around 2013, and you went from being a Blue Arrow in the UK, London, to then working in Japan for Hayes. So like, just, just talk, just, I guess what I'm first interested to hear about is like, when would, did it first become on your radar? Like, wow, I could take the skills that I've been sort of building over the last four years to a place like Japan. Like, where, how did that come about? When did that first come on your radar out of interest? Matt, what about you then? So from what I can see, was it, was you in Japan when you worked for Robert Walters? Yeah, I was, I, um, I was, yeah. I had my own business okay. in England before that, my own recruitment business. Yeah, yeah, I thought that. And, yeah. um, so did that for six years, and then how the hell did you end up in Japan then? So I, so, I sold the business, and right. it didn't work for nearly two years. 
it was awesome. Just I was in okay. I was in much better shape than I am now. And, uh, <laughs> I'd been an English teacher in Japan when I was uh, when I was I just graduated, so I kind of always liked Japan. And I was sat at home thinking, what am I going to do? Do I get another job in recruitment in in England? Do I start another company? And I thought, well, let's just try the recruitment market in Japan. I really enjoyed living there. I'll go back. And same as Alex, I met all the big players and I realized, okay. I thought you were going to say I met, I met a Japanese wife then. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. No. no. Awesome. No. But, um, so, you know, I met all the big players, got offers from most of them. Robert Walton's yeah. offered me the most money, I think, and I, I took that. Um, but I think the point Alex makes is interesting because the Japan market, we're going to touch on this in a bit, is yeah, kind, yeah. kind of a really immature market. And I think that the level of technical ability in the market is quite low. So if you do have a really good, successful CV in a tough market like the UK, actually you're quite a hot property out here. Yeah. So let, let's just let's just talk a bit about this end because I think people will be really interested in this before we go into the scaling companies, raising investment and all that. So Matt, let me come back to you then. So you you built a business in the UK, and obviously Alex, you've worked in the UK as well. So, so you've got you've got that understanding, right? Although it, it's not as current as as it is now, but still, you've you've got that nuance, you've got that context. So Matt, how would you? If we were sitting in the pub right now, and I was go, and I'm I'm a recruiter that's worked in the industry for five years, and I'm going, Matt, what what is it like? What is the Japan recruitment market like? How would you describe it to me? If we were to maybe compare, like draw some comparisons on being a recruiter based in the UK, how would you describe it to me, Matt? I think it's a bit like everything in Japan. It's a little bit weird in many ways. It's <laughs> it's it's a, it's a candidate short market, right? So we place bilingual Japanese candidates into international companies, and there's not that many Japanese professionals that can actually speak English. So the fees are super high, forty percent we charge. LinkedIn doesn't work, so okay. Even the best companies in the world, the best brands, just can't source candidates themselves. Japanese candidates don't like to apply directly. They prefer the middleman. So it's kind of an ideal market from the client side. And I think, so it's lucrative. It's a bit easier. It's less competitive than some of the other markets. But the candidate side is tough because you're speaking to people in the second language. They're naturally a little bit reserved. You know, and I remember the first the first time I made a call to a candidate to get feedback. And, you know, I was used to gregarious, outgoing British candidates. And I remember calling this guy and saying, you know, how did the interview go? And he went, it was fine. And I said, okay, anything else? He went, no, it's fine. I said, did you like it? <laughs> did you like it? He said, it was all right. How does it compare to your other opportunities? Well, difficult to say. And I thought, okay, maybe I got... <laughs> I got a bad one, but then you realize most candidates are like that. And that can provide a bit of a challenge to you're just learning how to squeeze the information yeah, out of people. That. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, okay. it was really like soft selling really in Japan, especially candidates here that they're not money motivated, really money of course is, is one of the things that they consider, but it's not strange to see, you know, 50% salary increase offers rejected by candidate. Sometimes we have a hundred percent candidates that go from you know, 5 million to 10 million and the candidate don't take it because it's, it's too much. They say like, oh, no, it's too much. Then, you know, what am I going to do? Well, how, much pressure, how much pressure am I going to get into? It's yeah. very unique. You see people turning down like some amazing offer. We, we had a case. We had a case. I just got to say this about two weeks ago where the candidate made us go back and negotiate a lower salary. <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> yeah. Which is just unbelievable. Why? You would never get that because he felt that They'd offered him too much. He wasn't worth it. It's kind of humble Japanese wow. candidate. And he would only accept the offer if we negotiated a lower <laughs> salary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, did. that's bizarre. So, 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 Alex, what I want to hear from you then, obviously, you, obviously, yeah, being having a Japanese wife, you must, obviously, the la over the last X number of years, like, you must have really embedded yourself in, in this culture, right? So like, I guess the thing that I want to hear from you is like, again, if I'm obviously always worked in the UK, obviously the amazing thing about London is how multicultural it is. How would you describe the journey of being someone that's yeah in the UK, that's my main language, 
to then take myself to Japan? Like how, how easy is it to get integrated? How difficult is it to speak to people? Like, I don't know, how would you describe that journey of getting embedded in the coach? Cause I'm sure that's a big thing that people worry about or think about. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think for me personally, I'm, I'm not a particular, honestly, like fan of Japanese culture. So I never like, you know, so, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, Interesting. so I, I like to live in my bubble, I think, and, uh, just hang around with, okay. with my mates from work really. Yeah. Yeah. Don't particularly like the food either. You know, I think, you know, I think, okay. uh, for, for myself, I, I, you know, again, I don't speak Jap- any Japanese at all. Uh, I didn't learn it when I was coming here, when I came here, I didn't have time honestly to learn it. I just really focused myself on, on my career, but I quite like it, you know, because, you know, I think Tokyo is, is, is an amazing city. You know, you literally have everything, you know, full of entertainment and, you know, both Matt and I have kids, you know, we have two kids, a Japanese wife. So I think you live a little bit of a, I guess, like a parallel reality where, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, our work is is all done in English. Uh, you deal with the Japanese candidate and clients, but all the communication is in English. Our office is run all in English, training and everything. Wow. Then you go home. I mean, I speak Italian at home with my family, and, and I try That's interesting mix. Yeah, so I, you know, we don't really get involved in Japanese culture. I think it's maybe different for other people <laughs> that maybe have studied yeah, yeah, Japanese, you know, and and that kind of stuff, but. Uh, I think for someone that come from outside, it, as Matt said, is Japan is weird, you know, like people are a bit strange. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the is, is there an expat culture then? Because like you said, when you look to go to, like you didn't look to Japan, I think normally like Singapore or Hong Kong or whatever. And I think people would maybe assume there's a bit more of expat culture there. So Matt, what's, what's obviously, I love your honesty, Alex, um, <laughs> on that. So like Matt, what is there an expat culture in Japan, do you think? Yeah, it's pretty big. It's pretty big. I think um, there's, there's good expat culture, actually. You know, a lot of yeah. uh, good networking events. There's a, an event called Brits at Lunch, which is awesome, once a month. You're definitely not going back to the office after that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's good. And I think, you know, in international companies or companies that work in the international market, the, the language that's used in the office is English. So it's actually pretty easy. You can come straight in. You don't have to read or write Japanese. You don't have to speak Japanese. And in fact, yeah. a lot of the top billers in this market only speak English. Yes. Yeah. So people would, people probably don't think that, or people right? may probably don't know that, right? Okay. That that's so that's so interesting. So I guess just final final point on this because I know this is something when we spoke before this, I was interested to find out. So on this again, relocation, getting involved in the Japan culture, all of that. So Alex, how? If we bring it to like current times right now, obviously, because you moved there some time ago, likewise, you did, Matt. Like, how realistic is it right now to take my recruitment career to Japan? For sure. I mean, is uh, it, the visa system is super easy here. So you can get a visa like really, really easily compared to US or Australia now that have changed their policy in regards of immigration. Japan okay. is still and very much open, you know, to attract foreign talent. So it's super easy. We do hire, you know, from overseas. We hired last month a guy, a recruiter from Canada and uh, super easy. So yeah, it's just very easy. Japan is, is a convenient type of country, right? You know, they, they, it's quite easy to settle in. I think, you know, there's a nice little expat community. So finding a house, all the kind of stuff mm. is, is pretty easy. You know, it's not too difficult at all, I think. You just have to have, okay. you know, of course, you know, you, you have to take a little bit of a leap of faith and, you know, come on the other side of the world. You know, Japan is, <laughs> is pretty much isolated from everything else. And they do have really their own unique culture. So you need to kind of enjoy a little bit of that, you know, challenge, I think, yeah. of really uh, confronting yourself to something very, very different to, you know, to, to probably what you're currently doing. So, so just on that, Matt, have you got anything to add on the context of, so let's say I'm a UK recruiter listening to this right now, and I'm like, you know what, I'd love to take my career to Japan. I want to speak to you guys. Like, d- would you have to sponsor me? Is that how it would work on the visa front? Or like how? You just have to have an offer. You, give a bit more, you just have to, yeah, you just have, have to have, have a, an offer. That's it. So if you've got a signed offer uh, of employment, yeah. then you can get a visa. And then what is it just like a, a working visa where as long as you're employed by that company or whatever you can stay there yeah even if you change companies it's really easy to switch so okay. i think once you're here it's pretty easy so we've had a lot of success in 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 the last few companies just bringing people overseas it's so easy to get it done 
And of course, we've got great contacts with the real estate agents. We can set you up with a house pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think that the message is, it's probably way easier than what you would imagine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and okay. the upside is huge. I mean, if, you know, the money here is, is just sensational, you know. So it, it, it actually the earning potential is... Is, is much higher and uh, Tokyo is not really expensive as a city, I think, you know, uh, compared to, again, other global like capitals like the New York or, or London, certainly yeah. a rent up is way cheaper than London, you know? Yeah. So what I was going to say, so let, let's obviously just talk a bit about just ver- just to frame this up, because I think it'd be good context for people. So obviously you've spoken about, yeah, actually like the culture working there, all of that. So from what I got from when we spoke before, Matt, how you how you guys described the Japan recruitment market is basically when you say it's premature, what you mean by that is most of the business done is done by household names like Hayes, Robert, like there's basically you have the big brands that have a lot of the market share and then there aren't as many sort of boutique smaller there, there's there obviously might be quite a few but they they definitely don't have as much of the market share whereas in the UK I th- most recruitment companies are at that sort of smaller level. And I think a lot of people would argue that people would give Hayes, Robert Waters a big a run for their money, right? In terms of service now, they're doing things in the, in the UK market from all the conversations I have. So could you, would you mind just painting a picture of like, yeah, the recruitment market? Because obviously a huge part of the UK is how competitive it is, right? So just talk to us a bit about how you would describe it and then we can go into the, this business journey because I think that'd be a good context for people. This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincere, the recruitment operating system for your front, middle, and back office. So I recently recorded a podcast with James Layton from the Anderson James Group, which will be out really soon. And as part of our conversation, we got into the topic of the best tools that he's invested in so far in his business journey. And guess what? Vincere was up there and also Sourcebreaker was. But in this very short snippet, you're going to hear why James is so happy to be a Vincere customer. And look, who's better to tell you about their product and why you should be considering Vincere as your operating system partner than their customers themselves. Here's what James had to say. We implemented Vincere right in the heat of lockdown. We decided that it was the right time. The old system that we used was clunky. I'm a real, real, real believer of Vincere as a system. I must have recommended 20 people to Vincere over the years because I think they're going to change the game. And I can say that wholeheartedly, having used Bullhorn and another product, I can say that Vincere is number one in that world for a growing recruitment business because it's intuitive, it's got intelligence suites, it's got everything that you probably need to... Yeah, it's a whole operating system, not just a CRM, is it? It's a whole point. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. Like, you know, Eloise and the team there, they're they're great. And they're always there if you need them for anything. Yeah, I think it's it's not competitive, really, in Japan. I think people who are here who haven't worked in any other market think it's competitive, but it it really isn't. I think um, in Japan, there's like 3,000 registered recruitment businesses. I think in the UK, wow. there's, what, 29,000, something like that? Yeah, there's a maybe, lot. Yeah, maybe 30, more. It changes all the time. But yeah, 30, 35,000, whatever. There's a lot. Right, but the Japan economy is bigger. I think it's now the second biggest recruitment market in the world. So from that perspective, wow. it's, it's not really that competitive. And I think, you know, look at what we did with RGF in our previous company. So we took that company in four years to be the number three recruitment business in the, in the bilingual market. So beating Michael Page, who'd been there for 20 years. And that's like, could you ever see that happening in England? I just, I don't know. I don't think so. No, no, no. yeah, definitely not. It'd take you so much more longer and so much more time. So let, let's just talk a bit about, about that, the RGF piece then, and then we'll, we'll go into Cornerstone. So Alex, as you just heard Matt say there, like a really great success story. So we've got the market that, that obviously is, is part of the equation. But what, what were the, the other parts of the, the recipe you think that enabled you guys to achieve that? I think at our Jeff, what, what we did the right, first of all, I think we, we believed in it from the beginning where maybe other people didn't believe that it was, would have been possible to build uh, such a big business on a short period of time. So I think actually having yeah. the idea and the vision, if you want to call it that vision, way. believing into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and we, we, we just 100% believed it from, from day one. That's why we, we joined the company really to, to make it what it was. And uh, yeah, at the beginning... 
you know, <laughs> not not everybody really like uh, was uh, as enthusiastic as we were. I think for sure. But yeah. I think what what we did maybe that nobody else I think did in the market is we started to aggressively hire from competitors. Where okay. I think in Japan I think there was some sort of like gentleman's agreement between companies, and we I think we, we you you brought the cutthroatness from the UK to the yeah to Japan. we just we just went <laughs> really mad with that I think. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so okay. and, you know we're, we're a bit edgy you know i think as i think in terms of like approach we you know so so yeah we certainly okay. did that and uh, i think also we we brought a lot of things again from uk i think we you know we're really proud i think of the fact that we started our career in uk and we think that yeah. you know the training and just the, the skills you develop you know uh in london are are unique and uh, we brought a lot of those like technicalities i think to you know to to rgf and we really changed like completely transformed the business really from just the way it was operating you know uh con we changed the contract yeah. we changed the commission schemes we changed literally everything and uh and yeah we, we hired okay. a lot of people from competitors i think that was a new thing i think in japan so yeah so it see it seems like then again and i think what if like yeah you both of you have gain sort of such a competitive advantage because you've got another lens on recruitment and how it can be done and things like that so let's look I, I want to get into this cornerstone journey okay so let, let, let's get into this so obviously I want to first talk about the investment piece and, and sort of what we learned on that so talk to me so Matt I'll come to you first like why firstly like why did you guys both think like the investment route because that isn't always the the typical route you've got like I'm going to save my money make a work for someone else save money then have a six-month runway and then I'll, I'll, I'll do that like what why, why did it why did you guys decide to go down the investment route I think you've got to decide what kind of business you want first right yeah. so if you want to do a lifestyle business or you want to have a 20-person business then maybe you don't need investment but we um, we had a really clear idea we wanted to make another big business like there's a clear gap in the market I think for two or three really big businesses so we knew that that's what we wanted to do We'd done it before, yeah. so we had the experience of scaling a business from basically nothing to $50 million. And I think we realized if we were ever going to replicate that, then we, we definitely needed a proper bit of investment and a partner also that shared the same vision. So it was obvious to mm -hmm. us, you know, we, we, we knew we could do it. With the right investment, we can do it. So that was, uh, it was our plan right from the start to go and sell this vision, sell the track record of what we'd done before and see if we yeah. could get anyone on board. Okay, so clearly, yeah, you've both of you have got yeah the perfect track record to go. We we can do this on ourselves for sure. So I guess the first part I'm interested in, Alex, I'll come to you. So if you you're both obviously decided right, this is the journey that we're going to go on. What was the first step on like identifying people or companies or PE firms that you think would buy into your vision? Like, how did you go about creating a bit of a shortlist? How did you start that process and what did you look for? Yeah, I think we we went, we didn't have a shortlist. We actually went the opposite route. We just connected with as many people as possible. So we tried to sell it to literally as many as people as possible. So we kind of started okay. with like in three ways. So we had the idea of doing maybe search for investors in Japan, you know, which okay. was our least preferred option, I think, because we... We didn't really want to work with Japanese, honestly, because of our experience previously of working with the recruit. And we wanted to, we prefer to work with uh, like a foreign investor. I think that that was pretty clear, but yeah. you know, we're in Japan. There's lots of activity at the time. And, and you know, this is pre COVID, right? So, you know, there was yeah. a lot of movement in, in terms of merging and acquisitions. There was, you know, the market was full with money and liquidity. So we look at that option and also we, we use Rectorex both in UK okay. and in Asia that we, we, we sort of researched a little bit. We found a couple of people that actually do that type of Rectorex business. Where they have people. Yeah. yeah. And also we, you know, again, because we both work in UK, Matt certainly more than me, you know, he sold the business before. So we had some, he had some connection in London. So uh, we target mm. like UK quite a lot. So that, that's kind okay. of the way we went. And we literally did, like so many pitches, you know, like so many pitches. I don't remember how many prospects we had, but, you know, we did a lot. Okay. We actually went to London, you know, for a week, like actually to Just pitch to investors. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so Matt, I want to talk, I want you to share with us around the, this, the, the pitching, because I think that this is really interesting for people. So what, so obviously through that, I'm sure there's things that you had to learn the hard way, right? 
but like what after all all of that what did you what did you find was like the most important part of this pitch deck or your pitch what what were people most interested in what were the parts that you you and Alex were by for right we need to nail this part of this pitch because we're we're sort of getting the sense that this is what really people are buying into or what people are most interested in out of interest yeah I think it was uh, it was kind of three things I think um you really got to understand you've got to be able to I know it sounds so obvious but you've got to be able to sell the track record that you have it's so yeah. important that's the number one thing that any investor is going to look for it's have you demonstrated an ability to do this before and therefore give you the confidence that you can do it again yeah. or you have the potential to do it, right? So I think we just really nailed that part down. We had the numbers, the exact uh, growth figure, everything we did at RGF, we could, we could explain in like real detail and we could explain the reasoning behind everything we did as well. And I think that's what investors really look for is not just what did you do, it's why did you do it? How did you come to that decision? What ha- you know? Why why did that work? Why why did it not work? They're really interested in your thought process, I think. Mm-hmm. So that was that was really really crucial. I think you've got to sell yourself as an individual because any any investment you're going to have to have a relationship with the people that give you money. And I think it's really important to be authentic at that mm-hmm. time because you got to you've got to have that chemistry. So there's no point trying to present yourself as someone or a partnership which you think they might like. You've got to be yourself because if they don't like you, it's not going to work anyway. And I think it's really important to have that authenticity and make that connection from the start. And then you've got to have a clear idea about what you want to do and how you're going to do it. And, you know, again, we, we had a pretty tight business plan, I think, based on our experience in this specific market about how we could create another big business. And, um, you know, you put those three things together and people were interested and we ended up with quite a lot of offers of investment and uh, we were lucky enough to have a choice at the end about which which road we went down and um just just on that matt just on this because i think this will be the other part that you don't have to give me like the the details of like how your deal worked and stuff but what was the typical structure so you said you had a couple of offers what was the typical typical structure that ended up being offered was it straight equity was it like you took on debt for I don't know was it like yeah there was certain milestones you had to hit and then it reduced in equity like how what were the typical offer and deal structures that you ended up with so we were only interested in just straight up equity basically so okay we're going to own a certain percentage of the business we're not yeah. going to put any we're not going to put money into the business that wasn't our our goal with the idea yeah. that we're going to scale this and we're going to make you a lot of money hopefully and um you know the the deal that we got in the end was was kind of perfect because we you know we we're in a partnership with Morgan Stanley and with a, a company called Cornerstone Global Partners which is kind of a thousand person recruitment business in Asia who also have Morgan Stanley investment so we kind of get the the financial support we got the infrastructure of being part of a bigger group we could have called the business any name we wanted but we kept the Cornerstone name because they actually have a pretty good brand in Asia already yeah, yeah. they're they're, so they're around a, a thousand people no that was a, that was a deal we wanted the autonomy no to run yeah, the autonomy to run the business, the infrastructure, but also the the money to make it a properly scalable project. One thing I think we did that I don't know, maybe uh, I think people can use. I think we we negotiated everything. You know, I mean, we had our pitch straight, but we didn't really start with a set idea. We, of course, we knew roughly how much money we wanted and much equity we were willing to give away. But I think we yeah. always, you know, I think. I've been always very open to talk with investors about everything, really, you know, and I think that made a really good impression with a lot of people that in a sense that we were not stubborn, I think, on negotiating, we literally negotiated everything. Yeah, we just put everything on the table and and see what actually the investor came up uh, first in terms of offers and in in terms of idea. And then we started from there rather than having a very, you know, set idea of what you want to get out of it. We're just totally open. I love that. And then obviously, so Matt, final question on this. So obviously, if you're if you're standing in front of me and you're you're pitching this idea of this recruitment business that you can scale and stuff, obviously, if I'm putting in X, I want to know, okay, Matt, well, how am I going to get my money out? So what was the first idea of the exit strategy? Or what was the first idea? Was it just they were going to get some payments at the end of the year? How did you communicate the exit strategy? And is that something that you had to, you guys had to spend a lot of time thinking about at the very beginning? This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. And all I wanted to tell you about today is one of their recent, really useful and valuable articles. 
So a lot of you right now are probably thinking, how can I tap into more talent pools? How can I get more relevant candidates showing up in my searches, whether that's on your CRM, LinkedIn, wherever it may be? Well, this is Sourcebreaker's world. So what they've recently done is published an article called The Power of Search, Five Ways You Can Improve Your Candidate Pool. So in this really short article, you will walk away with five practical ways that you can uncover and find talent that you're looking for that maybe might not show up if you're just using the the current ways of searching and what you're doing. I mean, what they've found from all of the surveys and data that they can look at is like 48% of searches typically contain errors. So if you want practical ways that you can uncover talent that you may be missing, click the link in the show notes, read the power of search, uh, get those tips, walk away with them, start using them, and let us know how you get on with those five tips and if you find some more people. Enjoy. I think so. I think it's good to have, um, people may disagree with this actually, we've got a, a fairly flexible plan about how we, how we may or may not exit the business. I think you know, the most important thing, especially if you've got an investment bank involved, is that they want to see the scalability. Of course, they're not interested in investing in a, in a small business. So our situation yeah, yeah. Was, was different from maybe somebody that wants to have a small business and somebody, an investor, wants a quick return on that. For us, it's, it's totally yeah. different. We're, our goals are totally aligned. They, um, they're experts. Morgan Stanley, the HR Investment Union, they're experts on the recruitment market in Asia. Their research is telling them the same thing, that the Japan market can easily squeeze three or four more big recruitment companies. So it's attractive yeah. to them to have a, a part of that. And the, I guess the real key for us was we scale it to, to a certain size and everybody's making great money at that point anyway. And then whether, yeah. we, we, whether we decide to stay in the business then or not, it doesn't matter because yeah, the business is already yeah the business is already at a certain size. I guess, I guess the advantage of what how the market is literally you, like yeah there's there'd probably be quite a number because Hayes or Robert Waters would probably have the capital and be like well instead of just trying to build that part of our business we can just buy these guys and then it's done yeah there's there'll probably be a few buyers wouldn't there if you wanted to yeah. go down that route because of how the market is laid out. That's so interesting. Asia, though, it's really difficult to buy in Asia. Uh, Japan included in that. There are lots of horror stories, honestly, of large firm buying business in in Asia and oh, really? you know getting scammed pretty much. You know, uh, <laughs> really big time. Yeah, yeah, big time. So okay. it's really difficult to you know. Again, I think from outside, I think the Japanese market uh, or Asia, especially, I think it's very sexy, right? You see this incredible growth, but. I think doing it is, is, is another thing and also buying the right business is, is another thing, you know, it's, it's not easy, I think. Fair enough. So let, let's talk about the, the last two years then. So obviously, as you both quite rightly said, had a, had a great experience at the previous company. You've now got this investment. So Alex, what was top of mind then? So you, you and Matt are looking at each other going, right, fucking hell, we've just we managed to raise investment. We're going to go on this journey. Let's go. Like, what was top of mind? What was the plan for the first six months? What did you want to spend this money on? What was the first part of the plan, Alex? The first part of was the plan for me part? was to go on holiday. So I went on holiday for four <laughs> months. <laughs> it really? came back, it was all set up. <laughs> So Matt did all the, all the setting up and I went on holiday for four months. I needed to chill. Really? Yeah, yeah. So wow. I traveled the world with my family and uh, relaxed a little bit. Okay. And then, uh, then yeah. When we you came back then? Th- then we came back, you know, fully energized. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's not easy. We were used to, honestly, like an amazing office, 200-something people, pool table, bar in the office, you know, all these kind of luxuries. And also, you know, we yeah. were managing all the people, right? So, you know, you know, you don't do recruitment anymore. You know, yeah, it was off the tools. After we started, it's like, you know, me and him in a cubicle, you know. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. the reality hits you, I think, you know, pretty quickly. And, you know, you have to get, you know, you need to get up, honestly up and running very quickly. So, which is very simple, you know. I mean, we, we were good recruiters. So we started, you know, we started calling clients and uh, working jobs and, uh, and hiring a lot, we went pretty, I think we, we spend all our money on people. That's has always been really? our strategy. Yeah. hundred percent. We, we did the same thing as we did again with our Jeff went out, you know, we put, uh, we started to sort of tell the story of Cornerstone and the fact we got investment, which is very unique. Not many companies got, you know, 
that sort of investment. It's a good, uh, good story to tell. It was a good story. Yeah, we, we, we spent quite some money on the office, actually. We we uh, we started in... Uh, what, in the cubicle? Uh, in the cubicle. In the cubicle. <laughs> no, we, we went in uh, like literally prime, prime location. We went on uh, WeWork, Marunouchi, oh, okay, right. which is the like financial center of Tokyo. Really expensive yeah. for, honestly, for two people office. It was really expensive, but we wanted to position ourselves and brand Cornerstone like a business that got real investment, you know, and, and, and you know, a business with cash. Yeah. And then we, you know, we, we started to hire, you know, we went from zero to 10 like four months, four months, something like that, really quickly. Okay, interesting. So, so Matt, what I want to hear from you then, how have you made sure that you and Alex remain aligned with where this business is going? Because I found this a few times speaking to people where there's two founders. How have you been intentional of being like, hey, right, so are we still going, are we, are we still in agreement this is where we're going or this is what our goals are? And then two, how how did you guys quite quickly work out? Right, Matt, you're really good at this. Alex, I'm you're not that good at that, so I'm gonna do that. Talk to me a bit about how you guys remained on the same page as well as working out what you're both good at. I think we uh, we've got the advantage of having worked together for for you know a few years, so you know each other really well. I think the alignment yeah. side's always been just been really easy for us, and I know people probably want a magic answer, but. We've just, we've all, we've, we've pretty much, you know, if you ask us a question, certainly if it's recruitment related, we're probably going to have the same opinion, pretty much, really, or really, really close. And we, we've always been like that. So I think that side of it's just come so naturally and easy for us. All the decisions in the business, we're pretty much aligned, very rarely disagree. We got a rule anyway, that if one person, if anything's a flat no for one person, then it's a no. So you've always, no, yeah. you've always got the ability to call something if you're not happy with it. And I think we, you know, we, we've just worked together for a while. We know, we know how each other work. The, the vision for the business is, is so set anyway. That's, that's never going to change. We're growing this business. We want to get it to 250 people. That's the whole purpose of doing this. So we're really driven by yeah. our purpose. And I think what we've learned is that every decision we make, it's got to be a decision which is scalable, which is going to work, not when we're 20 people, when we're... 50 people so we're both quite happy to take a little bit of pain early so that the business has room to grow and and the structures and and processes we've got in place are going to work when we're a when we're a big business and um i think Mm. we're both good at we're both passionate about selling the business and pitching it and our strengths are hiring people for sure so we kind of complement each other a little bit i always say alex is slightly the bad cop but um maybe i'm the good cop so maybe that's the bit we're good and we're good and bad at I would say. <laughs> All right. So, so just sort of, so Alex, so Matt, Alex said, uh, uh, yeah, look, you, I want to go into both your journeys on like hiring people. Cause that, that as, as I'm sure you guys are aware from your UK network or people you speak to that, that is one of the, the main pains for recruitment owners hiring for their own companies. Right. But before that, obviously Alex said, yeah, invest a lot into people. What about just on your note there around investing or having the mindset of like, right, is this going to work when we're a hundred, 150 people? Is it scalable? Talk to me about tools and techs and tech and things you've invested in on that side that you've been like, right, this is going to really help us when we are 100. I don't know. What have, what have been the things that you have invested in that you're like, we're, we could not live without these products and pieces of tech now out of interest? We, you know, we're really passionate about recruiting. We love it. You know, is we're kind of student, I think, of literally like the recruitment industry and the market. So we've always been interested in, you know, CRMs and, you know, like we, even without Jeff, we, we kind of, you know, we had that knowledge already, you know, because we've always been interested in that. So we're always looking for the best product or the best, especially CRM, I think is, you know, it's crucial to have like a good CRM. We went with Vincere when we, we were on Salesforce before and we decided to go with Vincere on Cornerstone. We're really impressed by the guys over there. I think that was a great decision. Apart from that, we didn't really spend, you know, again, we spend money on the office, which I think is, you know, the way you position your brand in, in, in the market is really important. And we spend quite a lot of money on having a nice office because it's, you know, I think it's important. That's it pretty much, okay. you know, like we didn't, like we weren't crazy on spending money on like many other things, really. Just the CRM and the office for us was important. Yeah. Yeah, we use Dialpad. We use Dialpad as well. Sorry, uh, Dialpad, yeah. Which is, which okay, is pretty, pretty, cool, um, pretty cool system, yeah. I was going to say, Matt, from your perspective, why has Vincere been a great partner for you guys as you guys have been scaling? It's quite interesting because they, um, they got a bit of Japan experience, the guys that set up Vincere, right? It came, it came out yeah. of Japan, Japan recruitment. So I think we can, um, 
we can relate to them a little bit and they're a business which is growing aggressively too. So I kind of quite like that. I quite like to work with companies that have a similar ethos and a bit of understanding. Sure. You know, we, I think they're really easy to take on board what we want to do. They understand what we want to do in the business, technically what we want to get out of the CRM, and they're pretty open to making changes and making it customizable to what we, what we do. And it's modern and easy and cool, and mm. yeah, we like it, right? Pay and bill, like all the invoicing system is really good. It just, I think it's just a very comprehensive as a product where I think if you compare it to maybe like a Salesforce, for instance, or Bullhorn, you know, like the, the off-the-shelf product is, I don't think is that good, especially for the money you pay. I think Vincere, off-the-shelf, for me, is the best one. Yeah. So what I want to find out then, let, let's go into this, The like, like you said, Matt, you you deemed that you, both of you are actually quite good at hiring and, and growing this business, right? So the, the, the first question that I have, and um, it'd be interesting to hear both your answers to see if they'd be the same. So Matt, I'm going to come to you first. As you're scaling a recruitment company, what do you deem to be the most important hire of all? That's a really great question. I think if you're on your own, the first person, the most important thing is to hire a, a right-hand person, right? I think yeah. that's absolutely crucial. If you're a standalone owner or MD, the, the first, you need, you, need, you need someone to bounce ideas off, don't you, and, and support you and be close. I think for us, because we've got that already, I think, you know, we always, we've got the philosophy of like the first 50 people that we hire is absolutely crucial. So we really learned yeah. this from experience. The first 50 people set the culture of the business. After that, it's kind of set. And again, I think you, again, for a business like ours, which we want to scale, we want the, the future leaders, the future senior leadership team, the directors, all to come from the first 50 hires, ideally. So okay. a, bit like, a bit like, you know, any of the tech companies, you look back at like Apple or, or whatever, all the top, yeah. the, you know, their top brass all came from the first kind of 20, 30, 40 hires. The people who have grown with the business, who, who live and breathe it. So they're, you know, first 50 for us, absolutely crucial. Okay. Alex, what's your perspective on that? Most important hire, do you think? Yeah, it's the same. I think, you know, again, the, it's just the, it doesn't really matter. I think, uh, I mean, we never had the philosophy of hiring based on, you know, a hierarchy, you know, a set of a hierarchy. We've always been like very opportunistic in hiring people that can like work for us, really, that, that can, that makes sense for our business. And then the org chart or the hierarchy will take shape eventually, I think. I think what we did this time, maybe a little bit different to our Jeff, I think we, we actually mix it up a little bit more with our Jeff. We are very, I think uh, one track minded in, in really getting people from competitors. Uh, and of course we yeah. still do now. We, we hire some literally like top, top guys from competitors. But I think this time we hiring and training much more than before. I think we, we got uh, the sort of our new grad scheme is really working okay, out so for us. So more in training. Yeah. Really yeah. Yeah. We, we do all the training. Yeah. So all the training is, is in house and we're just having a huge success with new grads. You know, our, Number two biller in the business is, I think number two and number four are two new grads. Really? So they're really beating like some like pretty experience. Yeah, I love that. So just on this, because what, what we're finding in the UK market is every single recruitment company is hiring to, to sort of support their clients' demands. Most people that I speak to are having little or no success in getting experienced people through the door because let, let, let's be honest if you're half decent right now you should be making some good money so the why behind your move in has got to be pretty strong and you like the owner's got to believe it so a lot of people that i'm speaking to are putting their time resources into like you just said alex building an academy or getting graduates non-experienced people so on that journey then what do you think has been sort of instrumental in getting that right so far what like if you were to start over again tomorrow and start launching an academy or having an academy what what would be the things you would implement and, and start spending time on first alex that you think would have the, the best impact on getting people from zero to yeah billing being self-sufficient that speed to competency yeah out of interest i think the theory is important you know we do i think around like four months of training you know like classroom based okay. training for for our acs and uh from like literally where, where we teach them everything from you know how to negotiate terms of business to how to close an offer how to screen a candidate matching and so on i think what we are a bit particular i think we do quite a lot of actually like sales techniques like spin selling that kind of stuff you know we, we nice, i think yeah. we're quite big but i think our secret of like success really for acs is that it just we, we we give them a job on day one 
So, you know, if you're, you know, a new you've got, grad. They've got a platform. They've got a platform that they can go at. First day, client meeting, come back to the office, database search. Oh, really? First it. day? First day, So yeah. just straight in there, straight in the mixer. Yeah. We, we, we hire a new grad, but we hire, like, confident new grads. You know, I think that's, that's it. I yeah. think we got a good eye for, for spotting the right talent, I guess, you know, finding people that even if they have no experience, they have that. X factor, I call it, that, you know, they join us and they're not scared of joining a team full of experienced people. And, you know, they got that thing that make them think, you know what, I'm going to experience, but I'm going to beat you, you know? So yeah. we hire these kind of people and uh, we train them well, you know, uh, our management team is super okay. hands-on, I think, you know, really, really hands-on and, you know, there's nothing, nothing crazy, but we just get them to work straight away and we hire people that are confident enough that can make you know, good calls from day one, really. Okay, so Matt, I want to hear from you then, because I think this is this is the part that I think is is, is evolving, or I think great companies that do grow get get this right sooner rather than later. What is the science? So, we're, if I'm sitting in front of you right now and you're interviewing me for your company, you must have some non-negotiables. Like you said, this this first fifty people are so important. So what's the science behind, because it can't just be, oh, like they seem confident, they had a good chat, like let's, oh, it feels right, let's do that. Do you know what I mean? That if you're serious about scaling this company, it can't, you can't just be hiring people on gut feel and they're pretty decent. What's been the science or the non-negotiables that you've been working to that maybe you've uh, ironed out, you and Alex, in what you look for? I think we got some secret technical questions, which um, okay. I, can't give away, I can't give away <laughs> on, this, on this podcast. When you say technical questions, what, what do you mean though? Are you testing my character? Are you testing testing like, both actually? Te yeah, so okay. we're gonna we're gonna test whether you have a natural. You, we don't expect people to get the right answer if they don't have any recruitment experience, but we're gonna test your natural kind of aptitude or where you where you okay. personally naturally lean, what your natural inclination is in certain situations, uh, and that helps yeah. us a lot. We test. I do a bit of a morality check in my okay. interview too which I think is specifically applicable to the Japanese market. Closing candidates here is really interesting. You can have a massive influence on somebody's decision. So there's a moral aspect around that, which we go into a little bit and just see where right, right, yeah. where people want to lean. And then I think obviously, you know, as anybody else, we, we look at the cultural aspects of what we want. We try and hire nice people. I know it may sound a bit strange. You know, you can't scale a business if you, if you have really high staff turnover. So you have to have people that have the ability to, to be good, but also people that are going to, fit in and not piss everybody else off on the desk you know if yeah, we meet yeah. if we meet a top biller from a competitor who's a total lone wolf we're not going to hire them no way so i think there's, yeah. there's a mix there's a mix of the cultural side and the technical side where we, we really dig into mm. how somebody thinks and uh, it's been pretty successful for us so far give me one of the questions mate just one one technical question that you love asking i think i'll give you the moral question if you want so i um yeah yeah Please. In the Japan market, the uh, the candidates don't change jobs as often, right? So they aren't used to dealing with recruitment companies, and they're very trusting naturally. I think as a as a candidate base, so you can have a massive, massive influence when somebody gets to offer stage. I mean, you know what it's like in London. Candidates change jobs yeah, yeah. a lot, so you could really push your own agenda, even yeah. if you feel yeah. like it could not benefit them or it's the right thing. Yeah, that's it. And it's a candidate short market too. So any decent bilingual candidate when they get to offer stage, they're going to have three or four choices, right? So you're literally in the situation yeah. all the time where you've got an offer from your client and you've got to persuade them to join it. And it's going to be a decent offer, a good offer, because we, we listen to our candidates and we've got good clients. But you know for sure one of the other offers they've got is easily the best thing for their life, for their family, for their career, clearly. But because you've got the relationship and the market is as it is, you can, if you're good quite easily persuade somebody to take what is essentially the wrong career choice for them, right? Yeah. Easily. And so I ask them how they feel about it. And then I'm not going to tell you what answer I want, but I want to know. Oh, wait, wait, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? What's the question? What, you give them that context? And then I give go... them the context and I say, so you, your job is to persuade somebody to, to make the wrong choice essentially for their life. And how do you right. personally feel about it? Okay, yeah, yeah. That's what I, I want that. to know. That's interesting. <laughs> <I love> <laughs> So look, as we come to the end here then, I guess, well, Alex, I'll come to you before we finish and I'll just want to hear about what's on the horizon, what, what, what you guys are thinking about going into the next year. But over the last, if we just keep it current, last 12 months, six, 12 months, obviously it's been an interesting ride for all of us. Like what's been, if I say to you, Alex, like what have been some of the, the main things you've taken away from 
this experience so far in the last six, 12 months as a recruitment business owner? What, what comes up for you? What have been some of the f- key things that you've learned or is top of mind? Yeah, I think I've learned, I mean, not much, honestly, because it's just like, you know, we, we kind of done it before, right? So it's not, you know, it's not much different to what we've done before. I think on actually just purely the operational side of the business, we sure. I think we're very comfortable in our own skin. And, you know, I think uh, I think maybe just the, the, the responsibility for me, I think, you know, like, you know, even when you run like a 200 people business like we did before, it's not your business, you're still an employee. And I think the way you feel about actually owning a business and the way people look at you and today I think is very different in a nice way, right? Is you have much more yeah, responsibility yeah. and not only, you know, about the revenue and that kind of stuff, but actually like really about the, the, the life of your employees. I think that's a nice thing. That, that's pretty much it. I think, you know, the, the last six months a year has been grinding for us. You know, we went from 20 to 40, you know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's been grinding really working really hard and, uh, and that's it. But, you know, I think that the, the nice part now is after two years, I think we went, you know, we, we kind of pass of that stage where the business feels a little bit bigger, you know, where it feels a bit yeah, more yeah. natural to us, you know, like for us, it's not natural to work in a small environment, I think. You know, we would prefer like a slightly bigger business. And uh, now with the 40 people next year, we're going to do to 80 people. We're going to go 40 to 80 next year. 80, yeah. So now we finally okay. kind of back to where, where we belong, I think. And that's, uh, it feels yeah, nice. Yeah. It feels nice. Love that. So, so Matt, part of advice, if I'm a recruiter listening to this and I go, you know what, I want a piece of Japan, absolutely love the sound of it, can make some good money, I, uh, even if I don't like the Japan culture like Alex, I can still have a good time. Matt, what would you say to me if I'm considering a move to Japan? What, what would your advice be to me if I'm seriously considering it? What should I think about? I think you should talk to me. <laughs> Quite simply, <Because>. yeah. <laughs> because... Um, you know, we both we both done it, and I think it's, there's a lot of mystique around Japan and the, and the market and the country itself and and how it is. And I think um, you just need to speak to people that that have been here a while and understand exactly how it is. It's actually, I just repeat what I said before. It's so easy to enter this market, and if you're a recruiter with good technical skills in a competitive market, and you're interested in a bit of an adventure, let's say. It's, it's literally the perfect opportunity. It's not like going to Singapore or Hong Kong where the market's really saturated, still fresh. The opportunity to make money is significantly higher, I think, than other places. It's a really unique culture. It's going to be fun. I think people should consider that a little bit. It's a secret, viable option that's out there. <laughs> and um, yeah. I think that's what we want to dispel a little bit because we, we really love to bring people from from overseas and bring them to Japan and everybody has a great experience I think both personally and from a recruitment perspective too. Love 20s it. honestly is, is a great adventure you know if you're like like 26 27 years old recruiter you know where Japan doesn't necessarily have to be like your like you know final destination it can be like a stepping stone you know and, and we're, we're yeah. totally cool with that honestly if someone say hey I'll give you three years guys and then I see what's going on we're totally fine with that you know we, we totally understand yeah. but you know it might be that then you come here you find a wife and you stay like we did you know so. <laughs> <laughs> love that well um look Matt Alex it's been an absolute pleasure I honestly found it uh I just find it so fascinating talking to people like you guys. So thank you so much for coming on the pause. I think I'm really excited to see where you guys are in another year. Kudos to both of you on, yeah, just really putting in the work, making things happen. And uh, yeah, obviously I look forward to seeing where you guys are in another 12, 18, 24 months. So thanks for coming on on the show. Cool. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Loved it. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.